Hey friends, this podcast episode is going to look a little bit different. My friend Ryan has an amazing story and I didn't want to cut a single second of it. And so we split it up into two parts. So you'll be able to listen to part one this week and part two will come out next week. So just sit back and enjoy part one of Ryan Payne's Dear Younger Me, Love Me podcast. And also we are including some songs from Attaboy, his band, at the very end of each one of these podcasts. So sit back, relax, and listen to this incredible story. Hey guys, it's Liz and you are listening to Dear Younger Me, Love Me, where we give people the chance to write a letter to their younger selves in hopes that we can learn a little bit from their lives. Hey guys, welcome to Dear Younger Me, Love Me. And today we have my friend Ryan Payne here with us and he is the lead singer of Attaboy which is just an awesome band that travels all around doing what do you guys do you guys do school assemblies we yeah so we we kind of consider ourselves a circus act okay. because we do so many different things uh which we enjoy all of them but in order to be a band at our level you know not like an a-lister household name band and be able to do it as a full-time job it requires being pretty versatile so yeah. uh we do a our primary thing is we do a school ministry we do uh, public school assemblies that are character-based, but it's a combination of speaking and music performance. And then we invite students back in the evening for a, a regular or you know normal concert mm-hmm. uh, that is full light production, uh, full thing. We get to share our faith there, even if it's at the school, because it's after school hours. It's yeah. not violating any of the separation of church and state thing. Uh, so that's the main thing that we do. Uh, we also go into churches on Sunday mornings and uh, lead praise and worship for them. Sometimes I speak in order to share with them about the ministry that we do. So there's some church ministry there. Another one of our favorite things is doing summer camps. Yes. We've, we've partnered with YFC a lot. Uh, we do some other camps and uh, get to lead praise and worship, sometimes do original stuff at those. Um, and then, you know, we've also, in the age of the pandemic, when we're just trying to do different things, we've decided that this summer we're going to be doing the Parks and Rec Tour. And uh, so we're going to get into, I don't know, five or six small towns in Indiana, Ohio, and just get to do some really fun concerts for the town when they do their kind of, you know, Saturday in the park kind of music or whatever. We're going to do some of that and have some fun doing that while we're uh, navigating all these other opportunities and options that we have. So, oh, man, that's so great. And yeah. If those of you who are a part of Huntington North Campus Life or, or in this region when it comes to Campus Life, you guys know the name Attaboy because they're playing at they played at GoMad for our one of our big conferences every year. We we happen to go to the camps that they're at almost every single time and we we love them. And so I'm so thankful that that Ryan is here and is able to tell a little bit of his story and a little bit of his life. So Thanks for being here, Ryan. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking looking forward to seeing you guys around. I'm sure you're gonna play here in Huntington, and so we'll we'll be there and we'll hang out. It's one of the uh, one of the towns on our uh, Parks and Rec tour, so oh, we will be in Huntington right here. Beautiful, right? Probably right at downtown. When they, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, so I'm gonna link their band's website and their information in the in the show notes. So if you just click on the details of that, you guys can check out more information about. Ryan and about Attaboy and about the really cool stuff that they're doing and check out some of their music because it rocks and it's really great. But Ryan, your story starts with you just you growing up in the church. So yeah. your dad was a pastor and you, know, you, you told me he bookended like he was a teacher, then he was a pastor and then he was a teacher again. And so for a lot of your life, you were you were in the church. And were you one of those kids that like almost every day you were in the church doing something? 
Well, I wasn't in our church almost every day doing something, but I also went to a Christian school, okay. and that Christian school was at a church. So I was in a church or a building affiliated with the church almost every day of the week. That was also, this is going to maybe sound old, but back in the day, whenever we did three services a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, yeah. I was at all of them. Uh, my dad was at all of them. My whole family was at all of them. So uh, I, to put it this way, I was the epitome of like the church bubble kid. Right? Yes. Like, that's where I was. Like I was, my friends were from a Christian school. I went to a church. That's kind of the circles that I ran in. So, that was your whole world. Yeah. Your whole yep. world was church and Christianity and all of the stuff yep. that goes along with that. And so we share a little bit about your journey through that because we all react to those things in a different sure. way. And I know you have some some story to tell within sure. all of that. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, from the youngest age that I can remember, I was in church, right? Um, my dad was there leading the music. He was also a youth pastor. So he was doing both of those jobs. My mom sang in the choir, the praise team, all that stuff. Uh, we were doing – my church was one uh, – uh, here's the spectrum that I was on. I, uh, my church was a Pentecostal church, so mm -hmm. we had the energetic, uh, you know, full rock band music before it was even a popular thing in mainstream churches. Like yeah. we were already doing that. Uh, but I went to a, a pretty strict Baptist school, so those I'm are so different. Very much a okay. spectrum. So yeah. I kind of already had uh, a bit of a spectrum from like the Christian uh, kind of Protestant realm. So um, earliest age I was in church uh, here in. Uh, hearing the gospel, really hearing hearing about God, hearing about uh, being taught from the Bible, uh, and and man, very valuable teaching. Uh, I also remember, man, when I was like three or something, like sitting on my mom's lap and asking Jesus into my heart, you know, like starting this relationship with Jesus. And I didn't get all this stuff, but yeah. like I knew enough to know like this is something that I want to do, right? Um, and so that just kind of started started me off, and, and my parents. Uh, taught me the best they could uh, going to a Christian school. They they wanted to invest in Christian uh, education, yeah. not just academics, but biblical education. And I, I am inc incredibly grateful for that because I would not be where I am today without the training that I received from both my parents and my church and my school. Yeah. Um, so elementary, pretty normal. Uh, I have four sisters, by the way. I'm the second. Uh, I don't have any brothers, so I'm the second oldest uh, out of five. Four sisters. Uh, elementary school, pretty normal. Uh, pretty normal kid. Like I was pretty creative. I was also destructive. My mom nicknamed me Captain Destructo because I just like to take. <laughs> oh, you're like the only boy in the family, so it makes sense. Yeah, so I like to take stuff apart and uh -huh. just you know break things. But I also like to build things and like just you know just be creative. And yeah. Build an airplane in our basement out of just scrap wood and washing machine parts i don't know and so just doing all that kind of stuff um i would antagonize my sisters you know and and just get on their nerves and i'd if they got mad at me that just made it even funnier oh, so yeah I'd, I'd make them even madder and that was hilarious you gotta poke at them yeah you know? that's right oh and i i knew how to push the right buttons too like it was it was you know typical in that regard uh so that was elementary school even into middle school just kind of you know just kind of doing my thing um continuing to learn continuing to grow in my faith, really, uh, and continue to learn more about the Bible, also doing the academic thing, just all that stuff was happening. Yeah. So one little extra about the particular denomination I grew up in is uh, there's this age-old debate that is going to – it's been going on. It will continue to go on. I don't as much care about the debate now, but it's 
kind of crucial to what I then experienced. And this age-old debate in Christianity is like, once you have come to faith in Jesus, can you lose that? Yeah. Or is it like, you know, this is forever and always, the, the cliche term is once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation. All right. So that's the debate. You can have that fight with anybody you want. I don't even care. Mm-hmm. All right. But in my church, it wasn't, you know, preached hardcore like, yeah, you can lose it and you're going to, you know, like one, one choice and you're done. That wasn't what was preached. But it was the side that would land on the spectrum of, well, you know what? Yeah, you can walk away from this, like backsliding. Like, yeah, you've walked away from God. Come back. It's yeah. cool. And that's cool, right? And, and I kind of had developed my own opinion on that, right? And while it wouldn't have ever been preached the way that I started internalizing it, uh, I came up with my own theory on this, basically. Yeah. So fast forward to the end of my eighth grade year. So I'm closing out middle school, getting ready to go into high school. And I was laying in bed one night and had this thought. Uh, in a way, it was kind of a panic attack, but a little different than that. But like just this thought that, man, something's not right. And to get real churchy on you, it was specifically, I'm going to miss the rapture. All right, now that doesn't matter at, th- at this point either, but I'm going to miss it. In essence, though, what the what the fear was is I'm going to hell. Yeah. All right, so, I mean, there's nuance to it, but that was kind of the the essence of what's going on. What did you mean by rapture when you were thinking about that? Because that the, can mean a lot of different things right, for right, people. Right. So in, in the 90s when I was growing up, I'm betraying my age again. Yep. It was very popular, this one interpretation of the Bible uh, that at any point in time, we're going to start like the end of end of times, the end of the world. The tribulation. The tribulation, right. And before the tribulation happens, there will be a rapture where all the Christians, all the people that are following Jesus will be kind of taken out of the world and uh, the rest of the world is just going to fall apart, right. And, and there's going to be horrible things happening, um, but all the Christians will be gone and then later we'll reign with Jesus for the rest of eternity and so on. And that's an interpretation. People are going to argue about that for a long time. Don't yeah. much care about that one either right now. <laughs> and this is like on the coattails of the Left Behind series yeah, oh being written and very, the movies to follow yes, all of that. Yes. It was it was just a huge yeah. thing in the 90s, early 2000s yeah. where we grew up because you and I are the same yep, age. Yep, so rocking that time. Yeah. So so and I had, I had known about that stuff bef- even before the Left Behind series came out. Another movie series came out called A Thief in the Night. Okay. And they were from the 70s and they are terrifying. <laughs> Like, oh, no. I mean, incre- <laughs> they're like for being from their time, uh-huh. they were pretty well-made movies, but they're, I mean, they're scary movies, right? And so I, I grew up on that. Mm-hmm. So I knew about that. So uh, anyway, one of the fears, like if you missed the rapture, like you weren't saved, but you knew about it ahead of time, like then you're in more trouble basically. So all of that to say, and I know that's incredibly churchy for anybody that didn't grow up in church. Just don't worry about that right now. The main point is... I was afraid that I was going to hell in that moment. Yeah. Right. Even though I was, uh, I was following Jesus, I'd done all the things that I had been taught. Like I knew, I knew the gospel. I knew that Jesus would take my place, you know, like took my sin, that kind of thing. But I was still afraid of it. Yeah. And so I quickly ran down the stairs. Like I'm just in this panic and I, and I knocked on my parents' door. They were in bed already. And, I, and they're like, come on in. And they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I, I'm just afraid that I'm going to like miss the rapture. I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell that kind of thing. I'm like, well, is there, I don't know, is there anything on your conscience that, like, that 
you need to confess or like you know just get that out of the way because like we don't want those kind of things in the way like yeah um and i'm like no and and honestly that was kind of a lie because there was something i could probably think of you mm-hmm. know uh which probably made things worse in the long run because yeah. you know if i'm afraid of sin you know whatever so <laughs> so they're like okay well th- you know they prayed with me and then i went back to bed well i read my bible before i went to bed like because that's what you probably should do yeah you know? yeah yeah and, and i was praying and basically in that moment or over the course of the next couple days I I made a decision that from that point on, as much as this whole Christianity church thing depended on me, there would never, ever be a reason that I could be barred from heaven again. Okay. Now, I know that it utterly theologically wrong— but it wasn't that I didn't believe that Jesus had taken my place and taken my sin. Like, I knew that I could only be saved through Jesus. Yeah. Right? But in my mind, because of this whole, like, backsliding thing uh, and, and that possibility. Yeah. In my mind, it was like, well, if there ever is an outstanding sin in my life and I haven't confessed it, well, then I'm on the hook for that. And sin separates from God and I'm, and I'm, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So. So basically, you... You felt like every day you had to earn your salvation time and time again. Yeah. Now, I would nuance it by saying I knew I couldn't earn my salvation, but I had to maintain it. Okay. And, honestly, and it was all on your shoulders It was then. all on my shoulders. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, yeah, Jesus saved me, but I got to keep it. Ooh, that's a lot of pressure to it, put on little you. So much yeah. pressure. And it only got worse. Okay. And the pressure just built and built because – you know, deciding that at, at first is like, yeah, cool. I'll just, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be fine. I, got, I just got to follow the rules I'm already following. Obviously, every day I need to read my Bible because that's what a good Christian does. Yeah. And if I don't, somehow that's a sin. And and I obviously have to pray every day. So, yeah, so I started doing that. Like, so what is a good thing, I started doing because I had to. Mm-hmm. Because if I didn't, then... I, then I was in danger. Yeah. Right. So that started me down this path of, okay, I got to follow the rules. Yeah. Got to read my Bible. Got to pray. Now, as a general principle, not bad. Mm-hmm. But as the days and weeks and months and years went on, different things would come to mind that stacked on a new rule. Yeah. That stacked on a new layer of of what was required mm-hmm. to be safe yeah. to be secure in in going to heaven and secure in my relationship with God otherwise I was in danger yeah um, and so just a a couple of examples right uh, some of this came up because of rules some of this came up because of uh, scripture mm-hmm. even uh misunderstandings or misapplication yeah or misinterpretation of scripture uh that was all compounded by this fear of of messing up also this uh drive to do it right yeah combined with this is how i understand the verse this is what i got to do so uh i had a teacher totally well-meaning teacher this is not on him this is me interpreting this wrong and 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 honestly much of this is that is the case i do not blame my parents for the condition that i was in yeah like i was i lived in a perfect storm of personality combined with environment 
that led me down this path. It wasn't any one person putting this on me. And yeah. I, I do not, I'm grateful to my parents and my teachers for teaching me what they did, even though it was imperfect, um, because it, it got me here. So I'm not knocking this teacher when I say this. Mm-hmm. But um, so at the beginning of class, you know, they, they, they lay out the syllabus. I think I was a freshman this at this point and lays out the syllabus uh, for class. In it, because we're a Christian school, he can add scripture to it, which yeah. is fine. And uh, he he added, uh, I believe it was Colossians three twenty three, fantastic verse, fantastic principle. But it's uh, whatever you, whatever you do, work at it heartily as unto the Lord, yeah. right? And he couched that in terms of, hey, basically the principle of what he was saying was, I don't want you to half heartedly do this work. Don't give me crap. Mm-hmm. I want you to do your best work. Yeah, right. What you hand in should be your best work based on this verse and that clicked with me yeah in the entirely wrong way uh-huh. because from that point on my best work didn't just include like you know using my mind to the best of my ability and putting forth valiant effort to, to do a good paper it went down to the nitty-gritty of if i'm writing a paper handwriting mm-hmm. and my letters are not drawn perfectly then i have to redo it Wow. And because that's not my best. And if it's not my best based on this verse, if it's not my best, then then I'm going to hell. Yeah. Like that was, the, I mean, ultimately, if it's not my best, I'm, I'm sinning. If I'm uh-huh. sinning, I'm separated from God. I'm going to hell. Like the chain reaction was, the end result was hell. Yeah. The end result was separation from God. And so I had impeccable letters. Yeah. They were real nice. My papers were worn thin from erasing and rewriting and erasing uh-huh. and writing because, you know, and. Um, I'm sure you spent hours homework took me way longer than anybody else hours. like it was it was it was so aggravating yeah because you know like i was a good speller we had spelling tests i went from being one of the first people done with my spelling test to one of the last people done not because i didn't know how to spell the words but because i had to keep rewriting the words and the definitions until my teacher literally had to say you know i don't care how nice it is you just hand it in right now we don't yeah. have any more time uh-huh. and i'm like handing it in you know in confession and repentance because my paper's not perfectly written. Because you wrote an L weird. Because the L wasn't straight up and down. It yeah. was a little bit slanted, you know? Yeah. Like, so this is the kind of pressure just from that. Mm. But then that translated into all my other classes because, well, if it's true for one, it's got to be true for all of them. So yeah. all my math, cl- my math work had to be done impeccably and, and just the handwriting, let alone getting the answers right, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and, and so that was like starting my freshman year and there's that rule, right? And just just stack that on your life. Right? Yeah. And another one that just had so many layers was, you know, uh, children obey your parents in the Lord. That's fine. It's I mean, it's a great principle. OK, mm-hmm. but I would remember just on the on just a whim, I would remember something my parents told me not to do like years before that probably didn't even apply to my junior high life or high school life. But I remember it and they never rescinded it. So that became a rule. And so I had to do it, you know, and one of their rules was uh, finish what you start. Great principle as parents, right? Don't be a quitter, persevere, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a principle, not a rule. Right, right. But not for me. Uh You took it as a rule. Oh, man. So that one was just murder because that rule applied then to every area of my life. And then that became stacks on stacks of of pressure. So a good example of this, right, is – when I would read my Bible, mm-hmm. and this is where stuff moves into classic symptoms, what, what I can say. When I would read my Bible, originally when I was reading it every day, I'd just you know, read a number of verses and be done. Yeah. But then 
all of a sudden one day I'm reading my Bible and I remember this finish what you start verse. And that didn't mean that I had to read the entire Bible in one sitting, fortunately, because I would have been there for a month. Oh, but, man. <laughs> but it did mean that if I was reading a verse and out of the corner of my eye, I saw the first word of that verse again. Well, now I've restarted it. Okay. Now I have to finish the verse again. Oh, so you just read them over and over again. So if I see that first word again, then that means I restarted. That means I have to finish it again. Okay. And so I would like repetitiously read over it because I kept seeing the first word and it was, but I had to start it because I I started it. So I had to finish it. So I just had to keep doing it until I could finally find a way to not see the first word again. So I literally ended up reading the first word Let's say it's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Great verse. But for me to read it, it would take probably 10 minutes just to read that one sentence. Because I would say in. Oh, then if I didn't say it, if I didn't say it with all of my heart and do it as best as I could, if I half-heartedly said that one word, well, then I had to redo it anyway. But to redo it mean I had to restart. So those two things combine. So now I have to read the word in perfectly with the right amount of enthusiasm, you know, whether in my mind or out loud even. And then I covered it up with my fingers so I couldn't see it again so that I couldn't restart it. Yeah. So I would go in and then cover the word the and then cover and eventually cover the whole verse. But if I accidentally moved my finger and I saw it again, I had to restart the whole thing. Okay. So we're so we're talking these rules are now literally moving me toward classic obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Uh, ritual mm-hmm. counting perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I. I got it in my mind. I don't even know how this started, but this is this is how ridiculous things got, right? I would I had like contingencies on, con- on contingencies here, right? So it's like, if someone ever asked me how many times I swiped my deodorant under my arm, mm-hmm. do I have an answer for that? Okay. And if I do, is it true? Yeah, because you can't if, lie. Because if it's not literally true, I'm lying, and therefore I'm going to hell. Yeah. So that started me on this counting thing. Okay. Another classic OCD thing, right? So let's say it was an up, a down, and an up, right? Because you learn these patterns, <laughs> Gosh, right? Pat- yeah. Patterns happen. Yeah. That's three, okay. right? So if I do that, cool. But now that means hard and fast for the rest of my life, I have to do three. Yeah. Because if I do any more or any less than that at any given time, then I'm not telling the truth. If mm-hmm. somebody ever asked me, no one cares. Yeah, no one's But in ask my you mind, that. I had this down, right? But then if I don't do one of those swipes with all of my heart, you know, like as unto the Lord, if it's not, if it's not good enough, I got to redo it. Oh and if I restart, I got to restart at least that one, if not all three. Yeah. So now it's like, it just became, I mean, I probably use half a stick just, yeah. <laughs> just trying to get just my three in, three doing right. it perfectly, counting it right, and so that I would not lie if somebody ever actually asked me, right? So, okay. like, I mean, we're talking, like, and things got weirder from there. Like, I mean, just all the rules, like, I'm. this is scratching the surface of how these rules applied to my life. Yeah. Rules that God didn't even set up that I'm putting in my life because I got to make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. Right? And it, you know what? It sounds like what... The Pharisees struggled with way back when in Bible times, these religious leaders yeah. that took the law that Moses gave mm-hmm. in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and they the law he just gave straight up. Yeah. Here's here's some baseline laws that God wants you to follow to make your life better. Mm-hmm. Well, they took it and they're like, well, now we need to be able to count three times. And now you can yeah. only face this way when you're praying 
this and like they they made rules yeah. upon rules to ensure that same thing yeah yeah so uh, it was exactly that now and and the crazy thing is like the pharisees like were actually doing their best like yeah. they, they weren't trying to be jerks mm-hmm. right like they weren't they weren't trying to be horrible people yeah they, they wanted to go to heaven right they wanted god to look favorably upon yeah. them and they ended up being horrible people and as a side note while i was struggling with all of these things and once again only scratching the surface there were so many more things that compounded the weight and the and the struggle and the fear and the anxiety while i'm a mess inside trying to do all this stuff one i looked really good to church people yeah because i was the best behaved kid you've ever met oh yeah right and and at the same time that i looked really good to them and i was a mess inside i was prideful toward the people that weren't doing what i was doing yeah i was like well i mean i don't know you're probably okay, but you're definitely not doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and you're like, you're, I f- am for sure going to happen. I am for sure doing the right thing. And if you're not doing what I'm doing, then you're not quite doing the right thing. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm doing this better than you. So w- <laughs> the utmost fear running in the wrong direction of, uh, of perfectionism also created the pride yeah. of I'm better than the next guy because I'm doing better than him. Mm-hmm. And I was an absolute mess. Yeah. You know, um, Another uh, one other fear, and this gets real churchy, but I mean, I heard it and I, I know this doesn't make sense of it. And you're just like, you're just crazy. You're right. Literally, yeah. I was going crazy. Like, that's not that's not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. I was literally this has latched on to your life yes. and was controlling it. Yes. In such a way that it was creating literal mental uh, problems, yeah. literal like uh, uh, uh what prescribable is the wrong word? Diagnosable mental yeah. problems. This was creating that, right? Um, one of the ones that that ended up being very hard um, was a, another verse that was, I believe, now taken out of context. I believe uh, 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 misapplied in in all the wrong ways. Had to do with uh, some. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this. It's people talk about the unpardonable sin. Yeah. Okay. Now you can fight over what that means all you want, but the way it meant it to me, because in its most basic explanation, I took and run, ran with it. It was like if I apply something to the devil that God is doing, mm-hmm. right? Then that's unpardonable. Like you can't get out of that. Yeah. Right? That's in Mark. It's, I, I, I actually in, think I just read that because I'm studying through it's Mark. Definitely in the Gospels. Yeah. It's probably in Mark. And, and Jesus is setting up. I, basically, the interpretation I think I more understand now is like in the long run, if you never repent, basically it's just not being saved. It's the real point of that. Yeah. Like you, you can't get out of that. You've never trusted Jesus. All right. It doesn't really have to do with like, oops, I made a mistake and said yes. something was bad that was good. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but I took it that way. So one night I remember this happening. I'm standing in my room. I get this thought. And, and people talk about the still small voice of God. And I grew yeah. up hearing that all the time. I'm not knocking that right now, but I get this thought. You should go down and clean the sink in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to go to bed. Yeah. Like, I don't care, right? Like, I don't, nobody cares, right? If the sink is wet, right? Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, man. You know, and I'm like, well, what if that's, you know, like, is that God? I was like, nah, it's probably not God. Yeah. Said, nah, maybe it's not even God. And then the thought struck me wait a minute. If I just said it's not God, then who am I saying it is? Putting this thought in my head. Yeah. Did I just say it's the devil? Mm hmm. It's, and, and then if I attribute some of the devil, it's, that's some part. God, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Okay. And I like ran down the stairs and like uh-huh. cleaned up the sink. But that triggered the nonstop 
if I get a thought in my head, now this didn't apply to things where out, that were like outright sin. Like if I got a thought to go murder somebody, that did not apply. This is not part of this, yeah. right? This is all stuff that's fine, right? All stuff that's like just nice, mm-hmm. right? Go pray for that person. Go do this. Go, you know, clean up the sink. Go do that. Go to that. I could never say no to that thought. Yeah. Ever. Because of the potential that it might be God asked me to do something and like, and I just have to do it. Yeah. I have to go do this. Man. And if I don't, I'm going to hell. Okay. So that made me even nicer. Yeah. So people loved it. Right. Oh, yeah. Because you were cleaning the kitchen and doing all these things. Yeah. 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 One more verse that compounded that. Another great verse. And this, uh, all of this is, is coming to say, like, I love the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right. I love scripture. But if you misinterpret it, you go down real wrong paths real fast. Yeah. The golden rule was one. Whatever you whatever you would have others do to you, do for them, right? This is amazing. It's an amazing principle that's like, I mean, honestly, it's like universal in like all religions. They have some form of this verse. Yeah. It's an incredible principle. Do unto others, you have them do unto you. Beautiful verse. In my life at that time, it my thought process was, well, if I would want you to do it for me then I have to do it for you yeah and if I don't then I'm going to hell Mm -hmm. so so it kind of got reversed and twisted into if I would want it I have to do it and that then led to all kinds of it, it honestly led me to literally never being able to say no to somebody. Yeah. If they asked me to do them a favor, I'd want them to do it for me. So what I would so I have to do it real quick, stupid example of this, of how this played out in real life. And my sisters during this whole time, my mom and my dad knew something was wrong. Yeah. But they couldn't they, they didn't know how to help. Yeah. My sisters kind of knew something was wrong. Maybe actually it wasn't even that something was wrong. They just knew something was different. Yeah. So one, I became, you know, I said I antagonized them. Uh I knew all the buttons to push. Well, if I ever made them raise their voice again, like in anger or whatever, I had to go tell, confess to them. Uh You know, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? We're done. And I became the nicest brother ever. And they would even tell you that. Mm -hmm. Like, I I mean, the nicest brother. I would never do anything wrong. Like never do anything to to antagonize them. and, And that was fine. But they also realized that, that I would do stuff. Yeah, they could get you to do anything. Yeah. So here's how stupid it was, but here's how drastic it was, right? My room was across a little landing from my sister's room. And visualize her bedroom. She's got her bed right in the middle. On the other side, so the far side of her room from the door, there's a little stand, and it's got her tape player, right? Not yeah. Even, not even, we, you know how old I am now. It's got yeah, a tape yeah. player, right? <laughs> and uh, tapes weren't like CDs, y'all. They, you had to, like, flip them over, uh-huh. right? Unless you had an automatic You, you know, had to playback. work for it. Yeah, you had to work for this for your music and whatnot. So one night, I'm literally laying in bed. My, I'm pretty sure my light was off, and I'm ready to go to sleep. And I hear my sister. She's like, hey, Ryan. And I'm like, What? She goes, come here. Well, if I was asking, I'd want. Yeah. So I crawl out of bed. I walk across to her door. And I'm standing at her door. And she goes, and I'm like, what? And she goes, would you turn my tape over? Hmm. She was literally laying next to it. Yep. And it was across the room. I had to pass her to get to the tape player. And I'm standing there rolling my eyes in just utter aggravation 
And I still walked across that room and flipped that tape over. Yeah. And then I walked out of the room repenting and apologizing apologizing to God because I hadn't done it as a cheerful giver. Oh, my god! Because I had an attitude about it. Yeah. And that led to, like, misuses of, of scriptural uh things about anger and emotion so i was not allowed to be angry to be angry was to sin which is absolutely not true yeah but i had twisted manipulated verses so that i was not allowed to be angry Mm -hmm. uh, about things that i should be angry about yeah but i'm not allowed to show emotion Mm -hmm. right and and this is all kicking in now as this is all like these are all compounding there's way there's even way more to if you can believe it there's way more just the the aggravation and the craziness that you're feeling right now, yeah. me, me describing this to you, just multiply it by a hundred and then add to that the idea that if you don't do it all, you're going to hell. Yeah. Like it's I exhausting. mean it, it was there was like if I started a prayer at night and then it ended up being like I had to say the same words every night. And if I didn't finish it, like I fell asleep, well, I had to finish it the next day before I restarted it again. Okay. And all, all, all this stuff. Yeah. Another you were thing, just stuck. I was stuck. You were was, stuck yeah. in this cycle of having to do, do, yeah. do, yeah. do, misinterpreting scripture. Yep. And then trapped in your own mind. Yep. Because you said your family didn't really understand what was going on. I'm sure as a teenage boy, it was hard to articulate what was going on in your well, head. And I was right. Yeah. I, I mean, like, honestly, I thought I was right. Yeah. So if you try to fight me on it, I could logically walk you down why I was doing each thing that I was doing, even though it was turning into ritualistic, you know, crazy OCD stuff. Yeah. Right. And and uh, with with my mom, my, my mom was incredible in this whole time. I mean, like she is she's amazing. And, and my dad w- was was great. My mom. I, one night I called my mom up. I was probably in ninth grade. And I was like, Mom, look at my look at my math. She's like, what? what's you know what i was like look how i wrote that yeah mom you don't get it i have to write it that neat that well i just can't not yeah like i have to do it that way because you know whatever and and she's like well you don't have to like it's fine you know um but i was like no mom i i do and and she was just like you don't you don't have to do it. Like, it's not, that's not what it means. Like, you know, whatever. I was like, yeah, yeah but, and, and she didn't really get it, but she did get it enough mm-hmm. that she figured out that I was struggling with OCD before I did. Okay. She had books. Yeah. Like she went and got books to like read about obsessive compulsive disorder. I saw one on a shelf one time. I didn't even know what obsessive compulsive disorder was. I saw the words stop obsessing. And I was like, that's me. Like I, yeah, I know that applies to me. Here, my mom's trying to read about it, trying to figure out how to help me. Um, the whole reading thing, not being able to like, you know, like the whole start stop thing, that applied to all my reading. Yeah. Then, if my teachers gave us an assignment and I didn't do them, I was disobeying my teachers, mm-hmm. so I'm going to hell. So now, you know how, like every kid knows this. There are certain homework assignments you just don't have to do. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not advocating don't do your homework, people, but you yeah. know you don't have to do them, right? Yeah. There's some where you're like. Eh. It's fine. It's fine. I'm still going to pass the quiz. I don't need to read those chapters. Yeah. But if the chapter pages were marked, now I had to do them. But now my reading would take longer. So, like, my mom knew some of these things. She knew some of these things were happening. But my mom would do what she could to help me with whatever that was, even though she couldn't get to the root of it. Yeah. So she was like, well, then I'll read it to you. So my mom was, like, reading my homework assignments to me as a, as a freshman or sophomore in high school. Yeah, so you didn't have so to. So I didn't have to struggle with that. Like, yeah. and, and it would allow that assignment to go. One other thing you got to know to just help put this in context, like, 
in school, one of the things that was most frustrating to me is everybody knows this rule. You've been in school. You get this, right? The rule in school, the official rule in essence, is when the bell rings, what happens? You get up. Well, you get up and leave. When the bell rings for in class. Oh, you got to be in your seat. In your seat and quiet. Okay. Right? That's the rule, right? Like that's, that's what I heard. Yeah. Right? And everybody knows that that's not what it actually means. No. Everybody gets quiet when the teacher walks in and says, get quiet. Yeah. Right? Not me. When that bell rang and that dawned on me, I mean, no joke, you probably could have punched me in the face and I wouldn't have made a sound. Yeah. Because I could not talk. Because if I made a sound after that bell without the teacher's direct permission, then I was going to hell because I mm. disobeyed. And I, like I wasn't doing the right thing. So I literally, for the end of my freshman, sophomore, junior years of high school, people in my class knew yeah. that I couldn't talk to them after that bell rang. Like I wouldn't do it. They could ask me a question. And I just wouldn't respond. Mm-hmm. I'd just sit there silently like a jerk. Yeah. Right? Or I'd give them a, like, just a minute thing until I could get permission from the teacher to talk to that person, which is utterly stupid. Yes. Right? But also, just, I'm a verbal processor, as you can tell from this podcast, uh-huh. right? I I thrive on conversation and talking. And for two straight years of high school, I could not, in the normal talking times, actually have a conversation with anybody. Yeah. Not allowed. I'm going to hell. And, and everybody knew it. And then to top it all off, if somebody would ask me why I wouldn't talk, I would just reply with my witty arrogance. Mm-hmm. Well, that's personal conviction. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so they probably then wanted to punch me in the oh, face. Yeah, right. You for, know sure. What I'm so, for sure. For like, sure. I mean, just, just terrible. Like yeah. all this stuff. So talking was a thing, right? Uh, or I, I wasn't able to do it. That is just freshman, sophomore, junior year. Mm-hmm. Now, by my junior year, my parents knew something was just not right. And they and they got, like, they knew it was, like, I was, there was deep struggle happening here. Yeah. They could not figure out what it was. And, and, and I couldn't articulate the root of it. Like, everybody knows some of these things that I was doing are just absolutely asinine, mm-hmm. right? But I, I could logically walk you through why I was doing it, yeah. right? And so um, my junior year, my parents, my mom came in town. She goes, would you be willing to like open to talking to a pastor or talking to uh you know a psychologist even or, or somebody i was like yeah i guess so yeah and so my junior year i started doing some counseling sessions with a psychologist and i got on medication i got on uh, a medication called zoloft uh, which is for anxiety and i was on the medication and uh and and so i did a few sessions um at the end of my junior year and my parents were awesome about keeping it you know, just between us and my sisters didn't even know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and everybody at school, if they knew anything, I was just leaving for a doctor's appointment. Like no, nothing was, nothing was said. And, and I really do appreciate that now. Like, I mean, that was just kept under wraps. I'm like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get by. Yeah. Like, I'm just trying, <laughs> just trying to live, you know? And, uh, so I started going to a psychologist. I went to a Christian psychologist. Um, so he at least had some understanding of, you know, the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Interestingly enough, I have come to agree way more with what my psychologist said at the time. But I also learned about myself that when I'm when I'm convinced of something, you will not you will not unconvince me by direct confrontation. Yeah. Right. And that's I mean honestly, I've heard that's like scientifically proven now that even if someone is wrong, 
and they're being told in the face that they're wrong, they will dig in more readily than they will be convinced to change their opinion, right? Mm -hmm. You I, had to change your opinion on your own. I did, yeah. And and I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty articulate. Like, I could I could argue my points. Yeah. Like, you know, because I argued for this whole, you're able to lose your salvation in a Christian school, in high school, when those debates were happening. Like, yeah. I can, I can, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a formidable high schooler against a high schooler, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in, in this conversation. Like, I can, I can do that. So I get into this, I get into this conversation with uh, my psychologist. He tries to, not in a mean way, I say this almost jokingly now. He basically tries to convince me that I, I can't lose my salvation. I'm yeah. like, well, I already don't believe that, so you got to help me some other way. Uh -huh. you know? um, and, and I just think some of the stuff he was telling me is like way more true than I was like willing to admit at the time. Uh, another, yeah, so stuff that he was saying. In hindsight, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, he was so right. Yeah. Like, I wish I would have been able to grasp that more. So, weirdly enough, I am an advocate of getting counseling and therapy and even medication in some circumstances. They didn't actually help me at that time, though. Yeah. Um, because most of what I was experiencing was, like, I could override medication because logically and illogically – I was trying to do something. Yeah. Right? It wasn't it wasn't as much a chemical imbalance as it was like I'm just convinced I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Like that's and you and no medication is gonna convince me I I don't. Yeah. And once again, I'm in favor of that in the right circumstances, right? And I'm in favor of therapy and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um So how did you how did you break free yeah. from this? Because this is like a heavy, heavy it thing. It was so weighty. Yeah, how did you break free? Yeah. So it was it was step by step, and it was not an overnight fix. Um, I had basically four years of of twisting and layers and habit and ritual and fear that that needed to be undone. Mm -hmm. And and I I'm so sorry for people. There are other people who have experienced what I've experienced from the spiritual angle of it yeah um, it actually has a name now i don't think it did back then it's called scrupulosity and it's a form of ocd that is like religiously based yeah um and there are people that have experienced that and and now they're not walking with god and they don't they don't want anything to do with it because of that and and i, I man that grieves me mm -hmm. to hear that and i'm grateful that that's not where god took me right um but to get out of it there were a couple of really key points one of them uh after i went to the psy psychologist my my parents even came in my man my mom and my dad were doing everything they could yeah. to help me and i'm so grateful for that my dad was on a, my dad was on a youth pastor's salary with five kids and no let's say mental health insurance mm -hmm. and sacrificed whatever the price was an hour yeah just to try to help me get out of this pit and that was an incredible sacrifice. And one time he and my mom came to the session and my dad even tried, he was like, hey, um, do you think any of this is because I'm a pastor? Mm. Like, because sometimes if you're a pastor's kid, if you're a pastor, you know, if you go to church, you know that extra weight gets yeah. put on pastor's kids. And there was some of that. But my problem didn't stem from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had already gone way beyond the standards my dad had put in my life. Yeah. I was like way past those rules. You know, I was making up my own. But that point still stands. And I remember hearing a pastor one time 
tell tell me that he told his kids he's like we will never not do something because you're pastor's kids mm-hmm. he's like we might not do stuff because we're christians but i'm not going to let it be a pastor's standard yeah. that puts you up there and if you're a church person who is not a pastor and you've got a pastor that has kids maybe just back off yeah. like it, give him a break mm-hmm. right so give that's him some a, grace that's a side soapbox i'm not gonna <laughs> I, i'll i'll get off that for a second but um my dad tried to check on that so my junior year passes i get through summer i'm going into my senior year i decided my senior year i was going to go back to playing soccer um just get on the team at a christian school i was able to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i got back on the team and and that was actually really cool because i got to re-become get reacquainted become friends with the guys in my class again yeah i had been kind of more doing the music thing with like a church praise team but that took me away from like my own class in that regard so getting back on the team that was really fun and i had been to the psychologist my parents knew that these struggles were ongoing and the best thing my dad knew to do when i was struggling was help with the symptoms when he could yeah right and so so there was one instance where one of the thoughts that I would get, you know, that might have been the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. was to fast. And I, I'm a freaking teenage boy. Yeah. Right? Like Playing soccer. Playing soccer. Like, I want to eat. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't like not eating. Right? And so I like, but if I get this thought, I have to do it. Uh-huh. And so then I'd start these negotiations in my head. Am I going to fast or not? Am I going to do this or not? And and I just go, um, I, there had been a series of like three days where I'd skipped, I don't know, skipped like three meals in two days or something like that. I'd come home with unfinished lunches, Mm -hmm. like a full lunch, come home. My mom had packed for me, but then she sees it's a full lunch that I didn't eat. And like, why didn't you eat it? Well, I had to fast today, you know? And, and you know, it is what it is. But in this one morning, I went down to get some, I I poured my cereal. The milk was on the cereal. I'm in this battle of whether I should fast or not. I have this spoon like coming toward my mouth and I have to put it down Mm. because I just can't do it. Like I got to do, I got to fast. My mom came up and she's like, what's wrong? And and I wouldn't talk to her. Like I was like, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And she went and told my dad and my dad comes in the kitchen. He goes, Hey, come into the den with me. So I get up from my cereal and I walk into the den and my dad's like, what's going on? I was like, Dad, I can't eat. He's like, why? I said, well, I, I feel like I've, I need to fast. You know, and he's like, well, and I was like, I've skipped like three meals in the past three days. I want to eat, but I just feel like I have to fast. Like, I feel like God's telling me to fast, basically. Mm-hmm. My dad's like, well, what if, what if you don't have to? I was like, yeah, but God's telling me I have to. Like, if I don't, like, this is a problem. And my dad looked at me and he said, hey, I'm your dad, right? And the Bible says, obey your parents, right? Yeah. And he said, I am telling you to go in there and eat. Mm -hmm. And you can obey me. And if God has a problem with that, then I'll talk to God. And and he said, "If if you feel like you need to fast again, come talk to me first. And you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. Yeah. And I went back and I ate. And I realized in that moment, theologically correct or not, 
my dad literally just offered to go to hell for me. Mm-hmm. And that is mind-blowing to yeah. me. And wh- <laughs> what greater illustration of grace, you know, from in real time than somebody saying, I'll take your place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that <laughs> that command, how, however that worked, it worked in my mind. Yeah. Like, I don't know, you know, like. You it, just needed that. I, I needed it. Like, and, and I mean, there are certain verses that trump other verses. So, mm-hmm. you know. So dad, dad gives me permission to go eat. I then don't have to fast for like a year and a half. I'm like, I'm not going to go talk to dad about this because I don't have to. And I don't have to, I'm just not doing it. Yeah. Like, and so I didn't have to fast for like, I got to eat all my, uh-huh. <laughs> all my meals. It was a long time before I fasted again. And I was just fine with that. Yep. What a more beautiful picture of grace than seeing Ryan's story piece by piece becoming more and more aligned with God's heart seeing human examples of what Jesus did for us on the cross and coming up to Easter this year, I think it is so important to remember grace, to remember that God has forgiven us and we don't have to earn or maintain this salvation that we have received from him as a free gift. And so the challenge for me in this podcast was just thinking where in my life am I trying to maintain my salvation still? And it might not be coming out the way it happened with Ryan, but man, I went and sat with that and just thinking through where in my life do I continue to try to maintain this salvation that I don't have to maintain anymore. All I need to do is sit and be with the Father. I don't have to earn anything. And so that is such a huge challenge to me. And thank you so much, Ryan, for challenging us in that. And guys, stay tuned for next week for part two of Ryan's story. And today, I hope you learned a lot more about yourself, a lot more about Ryan, and even more about God. Go out and have an amazing day. I can feel the shadow crawling, creeping like a bad dream. Darkness calling, silent with the cold scream. Vultures in the skies now, murder in the eyes now, danger in the skies now, tempted by the lies. I, I'm falling, but I don't feel the gravity. Breaking down again, walls are caving in, but this is not the end. I, I'm breaking down again, walls are caving in. This is not the end Not the end. Rise like a phoenix, escape.